Hello and welcome to Biblical Breadcrumbs. In this episode, we'll be in Matthew 27, starting in verse 57, going through verse 66 as we look at these last couple of paragraphs wrapping up Matthew 27. We've been in this chapter for a while, but we're finally uh, getting done, and after today we will be done, and then we'll move on to Matthew 28, and soon, very soon, the end of this gospel we've been in for so long. Last time, we were talking about the idea of Jesus being rejected by everyone. And so we were in vaguely verses—I forget what they were. Um, Man, I forget where we were. Verse 32 through 56, maybe? Um, It was quite a long while. Um, Maybe even verse 27 through 56. I I don't remember. I haven't, I haven't thought about this in a while. Oh, well. Um, the theme throughout the last couple of sections has been the rejection of Jesus by everyone. And so as we looked at last time, or maybe the last couple times, the criminals ignored Jesus. The criminals who were crucified with him ignore him. The soldiers who were putting him to death ignore him. The Jews who have pushed Pilate to the point where they're trying to kill Jesus and succeeding in killing Jesus the Jews have ignored him. Pilate, who knows Jesus is innocent and trying is trying to free Jesus, Pilate's killing him as well. Everyone is ignoring Jesus and leaving him alone. When he's hung on the cross, he's calling out for God and then everyone's mocking him. One person tries to maybe help him a little bit and the rest just say, oh, just, just watch, just wait, just let's see what's going to happen to this guy. Everyone is ignoring him. But Jesus, when he dies, you see a few groups that maybe aren't ignoring him totally. The Roman centurion in verse 54. The Roman centurion wasn't entirely ignoring Jesus. I I mean, he was up until the point that Jesus died, but when Jesus died, he suddenly saw something that everybody else wasn't. The dead people who come back to life when Jesus dies in uh, in verses 52 and 53 They didn't ignore the the death of Jesus. They came back from it. The power that went out at Jesus' death is apparently enough to raise all of them. They didn't ignore it, and they're they're the righteous people who theoretically would have stuck with Jesus, right? If they're righteous, they would have supported Jesus, or that's the idea anyway. Um, You also saw the, the women in verses 55 and 56. There are women who were with Jesus or associated with his disciples or somehow part of his ministry may be playing in there in there somewhere, these women didn't entirely reject Jesus. Now, they weren't there with him, and they weren't there helping him, and they weren't there, like, making sure he was okay, but they weren't entirely rejecting Jesus, maybe, technically. And so there was, there's this back and forth. Is Jesus entirely rejected? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or is Jesus rejected mostly, but there's still a little inkling of God being there with him when God rips the curtain in two and is no longer separate from man? God welcomes man back into his presence. God welcomes Jesus back in as well. Is Jesus rejected or is he not? There's a conflict there and a summary, and probably in that little short summary, I did a better job of what I was trying to explain the entire last episode. Hopefully that's the case. Look at verses 57 through 66, and you'll see the same kind of tension between the two sides. Is Jesus 
totally hopeless and, and there's and there's nothing there's no hope for Jesus at all or is there hope for Jesus is he completely rejected and no one cares a thing for him or is there a little bit of a of a resistance and a little bit of a want for him is there a little faithfulness that's still displayed in these people let's read verses 57 through 66 and you'll see two different sides of this coin. You'll see the two different sides of the argument represented, and we'll compare those and then draw a lesson from it. Matthew chapter 27, let's start reading in verse 57. When it was evening, a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph came, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. He approached Pilate and asked for Jesus's body, and then Pilate ordered that it be released. So Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean, fine linen, and placed it in his new tomb, which he had cut into the rock. He left after rolling a great stone across the entrance to the tomb. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were seated there, facing the tomb. The next day, which followed the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that while this deceiver was still alive, he said, After three days I will rise again. So he gave orders that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come, steal him, and tell the people he has been raised from the dead, and the last deception will be worse than the first. You have a guard of soldiers, Pilate told them. Go and make it as secure as you know how. (laughs) They went and secured the tomb by setting a seal on the stone and placing the guard. You see two stories here, and sorry, my mic may have uh, cut out, or I I was speaking too loud, maybe, I'm not sure. Hopefully that wasn't too bad. You see two different stories here, paralleled accounts, where you see certain lessons that apply in both of them. Um, One about Joseph, and one about the Pharisees, or the the chief priests and the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders. I'm just going to shorthand that again to just Pharisees. It's easier for me to say. Um... You have Joseph on one side, and you have the Pharisees on the other side. Now, Jesus was rejected, right? Jesus was killed. Jesus was delivered up to the cross. He was executed by the Romans, uh, by the hands of the Romans, at the will of the Jews. He was totally and entirely rejected. But you have this Joseph guy who's a follower of Jesus, not follower enough to stand up for Jesus and protect him and speak up for him and try to, like, get him pardoned, not not follower enough to stand up in that way, but follower enough to, after Jesus is dead, claim his body. It's better than nothing. Like, I'll give Joseph credit where credit is due. It's better than the nothing that most of the Jews showed and that, to be fair, even the disciples showed. None of them are mentioned here. It's better than nothing. It's not good, but it's better than nothing. It's not good that the women just looked on from a distance and didn't do anything to help Jesus while he was standing on, uh, hanging on the cross or b- before that, while he was going through this unjust and unfair trial. It's not good that they did nothing to help. But it's better that they're there and watching than, than what the disciples are doing, which is avoiding the entire situation altogether, right? It's not good, but it's not as bad as it could be. 
And so whether that's a positive or a negative for their characters, I'll let you decide that. I can't say definitively, but at least it's better than it could be, right? Jesus has been rejected, but not entirely. He's been rejected. He's been thrown off. He's been ignored and abused, yes, but not by the women, not by Joseph. And the women and Joseph care enough to take care of Jesus's body and to look after it. They care enough to do a little something. Not much, but it's a little. And faith starts from a little. And so if we can have that little, we can make that grow, right? But when you don't have that little, that, that's the problem, is when you don't have the little bit of, of faith, of action in the first place. So Joseph does some good, not great, but he does some good here. And I'm willing to give him that. He goes to Pilate. He asks for the body. Yes, he's rejected Jesus so much that Jesus dies with no defendants, no friends, no nothing. But at least he hasn't rejected Jesus entirely. Notice then, look at the Pharisees in verses 62 and 63. The Pharisees have killed Jesus, right? They entirely hated him. They got rid of him. They, they forced their will upon Pilate, and it was Pilate's choice, but they were the ones who forced the issue. They pushed it. They wanted Jesus killed. They got Jesus killed, and yet, even though he's hated and they just want to be done with him, even though they want to ignore him, even though they want to entirely reject him, right, to just put him out of their minds and forget that he ever existed, they can't. They've They've rejected him. They've ignored him. They've not listened to him. They've successfully put him to death. But even though they want to ignore all of his words, even though they want to completely and utterly reject him, what happens in verse 63? They recall his words. They recall the things he said. They recall the words he used and, and, and what he spoke. And they just can't ignore it. Even though they try, even though they want to utterly reject Jesus, they can't. Is Jesus entirely rejected or mostly, but, but there's a little something? Well, Joseph shows there's a little something. He cares about Jesus. And the Pharisees, they don't care about Jesus, but they care enough about Jesus's words to try and contradict him even after he's dead and gone. They can't entirely discount him. They don't accept him. They don't like him, but they can't outright reject all of his words. That's the first parallel you see between these two. The second parallel is actually in who they talk to, right? Joseph goes to Pilate and asks, hey, Pilate, can I take care of the body? And so the Pilate gives it to him, and Joseph goes and takes care of the body. The Jews, the, the Pharisees, come to Pilate, and they ask, Pilate, can we... Uh, can we take care of the body? I put air quotes on that for those of you who are just listening to the audio. Can we take care of, of the body? Can we hide it somewhere? Can we um, entrap it? Can we seal it off? Can we uh, guard it, make sure that it's protected and that nobody else gets their hands on it? Jo Joseph cares about Jesus a little bit. The Pharisees care about the body of Jesus, that it stay where it belongs, right? Both sides, even though they have rejected Jesus before, in every way possible they've rejected Jesus before, 
they have either been fine with his execution or caused his execution, even so, both sides are caring about the body of Jesus. Interesting how that works. And then, of course, you see Joseph is the one who makes all the arrangements to care for the body, to honor the body. He wraps it in a clean, uh, fine linen sheet in verse 59. He places it in his own tomb, a new tomb. There are no other corpses in that tomb. It's just like a hole in the rock. They, they found some, some rock somewhere, some hill, and they dug out the hill, and now there's just a hole in there, and he puts Jesus in the hole. No one else has occupied that tomb before. Likely, it would be Joseph's tomb, and he would bury his family members in there. When he dies, he would be buried in there, and all his, his children and grandchildren, they'd be buried in there too. It's going to be a family tomb. Joseph is, in a sense, adopting Jesus, taking care of his body, and, and putting it in a nice place where it can be taken care of, where it'll be safe from the elements, it'll be safe from the the wild animals who would otherwise tear it to pieces. It will be safe. Overall, Joseph is taking care of Jesus's body and honoring it. The Pharisees are taking care of his body a different way, right? As was already mentioned, they go to Pilate. They ask for the right to seal him up, to seal him off, to put a guard out in front of his door, to make sure that he doesn't come out, to make sure that Jesus stays where he belongs, that he stays dead and gone. And you know what? He claimed that he's going to come back, that he's going to live again. Let's put soldiers in front of his tomb to make sure that's not the case. And maybe they're thinking, right, because they know Jesus is capable of all of these miracles. They know Jesus has raised people from the dead before. Surely, like, they must have some concept that he could, in theory, since God is with him, they blatantly ignored that God is with him, but they know it's true. Since God's with him, is there a possibility that he could be raised from the dead? Is there even a slight possibility? Maybe. Let's put soldiers in front of his tomb. Good guardsmen, yes, but also soldiers that if if a walking if if a corpse comes back to life and walks out of the tomb, these are guys that can kill it again and put it right back in. Let's put soldiers in front of his tomb. Pilate says, sure, and allows that to happen. You see, in both cases, in both of these cases, uh, in verse 61, there are two of the Marys sitting there, Mary, the Magdalene, and the other Mary, whoever that is. I don't think that's Jesus's mother Mary, otherwise it would have called her that. Um, I think it's it's another Mary, uh, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, whoever those are. In verse 56, maybe? Uh, could those be Jesus' brothers, James and Joseph? Yeah, I don't know why it's not called Jesus' mother, so, so maybe. Not exactly sure who they are. Either way, both Marys are sitting there watching the tomb as Joseph is doing all of this, as Joseph is putting Jesus in, rolling the stone across the entrance, as Joseph is setting all of this up. Both of the Marys are watching that happen. It seems like they may well be watching as the Pharisees are putting the seal on the tomb and putting the guard out in front of the tomb. It seems like that, from Matthew's indication. I don't know if that's true or not, but Matthew says these people are sitting there facing the tomb. The next day when they go and secure the tomb, there's no mention of Mary and other Mary leaving. 
But in, in chapter 28, they're going to come right back on the day after, right? There's never a mention of them leaving. They probably, they, I know they left at some point. I'm sure they left at some point. But I feel like they were there on the first day watching him be buried. They were there on the second day making sure that the Pharisees weren't disturbing him or anything. They were there on the third day where they're suddenly going to find something else, something unique happening. And that's the question, isn't it? It's the question we're left with at the end of chapter 27 is, is there hope or is there not? Joseph and both Marys, the people who care about Jesus, are the ones who are burying him, are the ones who are verifying that he's dead, right? Watching the tomb, making sure that it's okay. That's what the Marys are doing. Joseph is, is getting this tomb in the first place, is putting Jesus in there in the first place. He's making sure that Jesus is well taken care of. They haven't rejected Jesus fully. They're willing to expose themselves and take care of his body, at least. That's something. But they're also not giving him much of a chance to live. They're giving him no chance from what we see in the text. No, the ones who are giving Jesus the chance to live are the people who recognize what he said is he's coming back. What he said is he's coming back to life, so we're going to seal the tomb to make sure that that doesn't happen and that the disciples don't lie about it, right? We're going to put a guard out there to make sure that that doesn't happen. And if it does happen, then the soldiers will kill him and it won't have happened, right? If Jesus's words come true, then we've got solutions for that. That's what the Pharisees are trying to do. Odd, isn't it, how Jesus's followers don't believe he's coming back, but his enemies kind of do. His enemies are nervous about the possibility of that, whereas his friends don't even hold out hope that his words can come true. But that's the question. When have Jesus's words ever failed? In the book of Matthew, 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 think back throughout this whole book. When have Jesus's words failed? He tells people to be healed and then they get healed. He tells people to come back from the dead and then they come back from the dead. He tells people what they need to do to be saved and then, well, presumably we're left to assume they're saved when they do that. Because Jesus's words have never failed in this book. Jesus' words, every time we can check and see if they've been verified, they've been verified. Every time he talks about the present situation, it's always true, and it always happens. So when Jesus talks about the future, we're left, we're, we are left to assume, assume that Jesus is correct. And here, we're left to assume the same thing. Is Jesus correct? when he said that the paralytic can take up his bed and walk. Yeah, yeah, he was. So he was correct when, so he was presumably correct when he forgave sin. It was Jesus correct when he calmed the wind and the waves. Yes, yes, he was. He told the wind and the waves to calm down, and they calmed down. His word was true. Okay, so when Jesus says, I'm going to come back from the dead, is that true or not? He's been... 100% accurate so far, why doubt this one? Why question this one? 
despite the seals on the tomb, despite the guards on the tomb, could he possibly come back? Maybe. That's the question we, the readers, are left with as we enter this part of the book. If we know the story, if, if you're familiar with the story, you know the answer to that question. Can Jesus come back? Yes or no? You know the answer. But as first-time readers who haven't heard this before, that's the question. Can he? I don't know. But he's never been wrong before. And his enemies are really worried about it. And they're taking a lot of precautions, and they're essentially daring God to try and do what Jesus said God would do. They're daring God to be truthful, right? God said, Jesus is coming back from the dead. God bore witness to it. And the Pharisees are saying, not if we can help it. Well, that's just going to inspire God to want to fight them now, isn't it? And even if he wasn't planning on Jesus, on Jesus coming back before, well, now that he's been challenged and now that he's been dared to try it, what do you think is going to happen with Jesus being dead in this tomb? That's the question we've got. And that's the question we as readers have to answer. And they, back in the day, they had to answer. Joseph accepted that he was dead. The Pharisees accepted that he was dead but really wanted to be sure that he wasn't going to come back to life like God said he would come back to life. And, well, we'll see which answer is right. Maybe it's Joseph, maybe it's the Pharisees, or maybe it's the third option that he actually does come back and that there's something much greater coming still in the last chapter of Matthew. Interesting conundrum, and there we leave it for the moment. But one lesson I would like to think about from this uh, from this text, from these nine or so verses, uh, ten verses even, what do you see in these two viewpoints? You see Joseph, a man who cares about Jesus to some extent. You see Mary and other Mary, women who care about Jesus to some extent. And you see the Pharisees and the chief priests who hate Jesus and who, who hate his guts, who hate him enough that they've killed him. You see one side that likes Jesus and one side that doesn't like Jesus at all. You see one side that cares and one side that doesn't care at all. You see one side that believes he's entirely dead and gone and we're burying him. And you see one side that believes he's probably dead and gone, but we better really make sure that he stays that way. Two opposites. The believers and the non-believers, the faithful and the non-faithful, those who don't believe in the resurrection at all, and those who might believe in resurrection a little bit. You see these two different sides play out. And yet, even though they're two diametrically opposed ideas, they come down to one point in common, that is, Jesus cannot be ignored. And it doesn't matter whether you love him or hate him doesn't matter whether you like him or not. It doesn't matter if you obey him or not. You can't ignore him. And he's this one point in the middle that you can't get around. I mean, you can accept what he says and obey him. Cool. Or you can ignore what he says and disobey him. All right. But you can't, you can't just ignore him and sidestep him altogether. 
You can follow the Bible or not, but you're going to do one of them. And you can't just ignore that it exists. That's called not following the Bible, right? You can't just ignore the things that Jesus said. That's called not following Jesus. Jesus is an individual that you don't have a way around. You can't, you can't make him not matter. You can't ignore who he is. The Pharisees desperately wanted to ignore Jesus, to get rid of him, him, his memory, his work, his legacy, his everything. And yet even they are forced to reckon with the reality of who Jesus is. Jesus cannot be ignored. Maybe you like him, maybe you don't. Maybe you follow him, maybe you don't. But you have to answer that question, yes or no. Am I going to listen to him? Am I going to follow him? And you can't just say, I don't know, and move on. No, that, that would be saying no. <laughs> but you have to answer that question one way or the other. And this question all of us get to deal with. Whether you're a Pharisee or a faithful believer, you listen to God or you don't. That's the ultimate resolution, and that's the ultimate question we have to leave you with. Will Jesus come back from the dead? Maybe. Maybe not. We'll check that out next time and see what see what God says about it. Um, but for right now, do you want to listen to this guy or not? Either way, you have to contend with him. Either way, you have to answer him. Either way, you have to deal with him. But the question is, are you going to do it willingly? Are you going to accept what he says? Or are you going to ignore him? If Jesus dies right here, then the answer to that question doesn't really matter because none of what he said was true anyway, right? Jesus staked his, his truthfulness on being truthful 100% of the time, and if he suddenly lies about this, if he suddenly lies and he was going to come back but now he's not, well, what can we really trust? If Jesus dies right here, this question doesn't matter at all. And so, well, I guess you'll have to tune in for next week when we talk about whether Jesus did in fact die or not. Because it turns out um, God wouldn't leave him dead. And spoiler alert, but God does exactly what Jesus had said he would do. Jesus rises, which means this question's actually very important for us to answer today. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed. Hope you benefited from that. I hope there's something helpful in there. And we'll pick up in Matthew 28 next time. God bless. And I'll see you next time on Biblical Breadcrumbs.